All right. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. Let's take our Bibles and go to Judges chapter 8. I asked Vanderlei what I should speak on tonight, and he said, speak on the platform. I said, all right. No, it's not what I mean. What should I speak about? He said, about 20 minutes would be great, all right? And so uh, I'll try to meet both of those uh, criteria that he shared with me, the great man of God he is, Judges chapter 8. And uh, by the way, what a great auditorium you guys have. Uh, I was here a little over a year ago, and this was still, I think, just a warehouse, really. And we walked around, and, and uh, your pastor kind of shared with me, here's where this is going to go, and these things are going to be. This is awesome. God gave you guys a massive gift. Really, he gave this community a great gift, because you're going to fill this up time and again. And uh, what happened Sunday was awesome, but really, I think that's just a great vision of things to come. God's going to do a wonderful, wonderful work here, and uh, I'm so excited. Uh, you know, if what I read is correct, five is a massive milestone for a church plant. I've read that eight out of ten churches that begin never do make it to their fifth anniversary. And you guys didn't just manage to survive for five years. You guys are thriving and moving forward, and the best is yet to come. And I hope your prayer is, God, for all that you've done. May you continue to do it, do more of it as we move into the future. And that's a little bit what I want to talk to you about tonight from Judges chapter 8. You know, sometimes I think we make a mistake when we study the Bible and we find these characters and we think, you know, they're different than me. They had what I don't have. They could do what I can't do. And you know, the fact of the matter is the more I study the Bible and the more I feel as though I get to know these amazing characters in Scripture, the more I figure out that they oftentimes, if you were to boil the ingredient that God used in their life to help them do supernatural things, they did things that we all could do if we would. I think it's someone like Noah. We can say, well, he built an ark, and, and uh, he was faithful to the Lord and all, all of that. But, you know, when God summed his life up in Genesis 6, he, he just said, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Twice in the same verse, God said, let me tell you about Noah. He just did what I asked him to do. He just did what I asked him to do. He didn't even know what an ark was. He didn't know what a need for a boat would be all about. He just was obedient to God, and, and God used him. Uh, I think of people like Caleb in the Old Testament. I love Caleb. Uh, I, I mean, this guy, all he knew, his whole experience in life was living as a slave. He's liberated by the grace of God, and he lives the rest of his life, pedal to the metal, seeking all the promises that God had given him. As an old man, he's still going for it. And of Caleb, the Bible says in Numbers 14, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring to the land whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it. God said, well, let me tell you about Caleb. He just, he had a great attitude. He had a, he had a great spirit. He followed me fully. And we're going to talk tonight about one of the great characters of the Old Testament, a little bit of an unsung character, but, but someone who really lived an amazing, amazing, extraordinary life. Someone that endured incredible opposition. Someone that knew what it was to face enemies from without. Literally, people confronted and opposed him. He knew what it was to face the even more difficult enemies at times, those that come from within. Those thoughts that come from within. He knew what it was to go through times of fatigue. And if you're living life, we're all going to encounter those times when fatigue just seems to, to overwhelm us. And, and, and yet through all of this, his life managed to move forward. And tonight we're going to study the life of a man by the name of Gideon. And he, I believe, is a great example, we'll see in Scripture, of a life that was just persistent for God. He just kept going. He was a persistent man of faith. 
What he lacked in resources, he made up for in resourcefulness. He found ways to do what God had given him to do. He lived an amazing life, but really what allowed him to do so was something so simple that each of us tonight could learn from him and employ what he did for the glory of God in our own lives. Again, he was a person of persistence. His life unfolds over the course of of a few chapters here in the Old Testament book of Judges. And what's interesting is no one would have picked Gideon in the beginning of his life as the most likely to succeed. Uh, Nobody would imagine him to have been the one that was going to be used as, as a great example that others would study thousands of years later. Yet, as he learned the value of persistence in his life, his life changed, but catch this. His changed life was the avenue through which God allowed others to be changed. One person who became convinced that God could use them became the catalyst that led others to know what it was to have God's work in their lives as well. And so we're going to get started tonight in Judges chapter 8. And if you're able and willing, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read a passage of Scripture tonight. And uh, this evening, I'll read just one verse to get us started, but our sermon will consist of more than one verse. But we're going to begin in Judges chapter 8 and verse 4. The Bible says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And I want you to allow your attention to be drawn to the expression of God's word where the Bible says of Gideon, faint yet pursuing. Tired, he kept going. Weary, he persisted. And I want, with God's help tonight, for us to understand that this man who is used incredibly of God was an ordinary human being just like us who said, God, I need your help in my life to help me have that grit, that bulldog determination, that persistence to keep going when others, and even at times myself, would say, maybe I should pull it over and put it in park right here. Our Father, we're very grateful to be in this special place with these incredible people. Lord, we're thankful literally to be in a room that is a testimony to your miraculous work. We thank you for five incredible years that you've given to this church family. We thank you for the incredible pastor and family that you brought to to begin this work. And Lord, I pray that you would allow something said in this in this message tonight from your word, to stir this church family to move forward with faith in a great way. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. He certainly didn't look exemplary. In fact, if you would have looked at him, you would have concluded he was just a totally defeated man. He had the appearance of someone who'd given up. He had the appearance of someone who had acquiesced to the pressures of life, who was living beneath any potential that God would have put into him. Yet we're warned in the Bible to avoid judging people and drawing a final conclusion or a final verdict. You know, nobody can can draw a final conclusion about a life but God. We live within the paradigm of time, and we never know what the future may hold. Only God knows the beginning from the end, and, and so we always get in trouble when we try to judge people in a way that only God is capable of doing. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, the Bible says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. 
Had we seen Gideon when he's introduced in scriptures, we would have come to a conclusion that I believe would have been entirely, completely wrong. It would have been inaccurate. When he's first introduced in the pages of scripture, he's a man that wasn't much different than the other men in his time and space. He was living a life in which he was totally debilitated and crippled by fear. He was living financially upside down in life. The pressure of finances was all over him. He was, he was quite bitter about how these things came to be. And, and he seems as though he had developed a goal in life of just to go along to get along, to draw as little attention as possible as I just get by barely in life. The story of his life began not in Judges 8 where we read, but back in Judges 6. If you'd like to turn back in Judges 6, I'll share a verse or two with you in Judges chapter 6. As we begin in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, the Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abyssalite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat, the Bible says, by the winepress to hide it, from the Midianites. Now look up here. The Midianites were the enemies of God's people. And the Midianites were people that made their living by and large by coming in during the harvest season. How many of you, if you got one paycheck a year, would be upset if somebody stole that one paycheck? All right. Well, when you're a farmer, you get one paycheck a year. And the Midianites would come in during the harvest, and they would, they would invade these people, steal the crops, and, and they would leave them just to kind of fend for themselves. And Gideon knows the Midianites are the enemies of God's people. He knows they're coming for his crops. And when we meet Gideon in Judges 6 and verse 11, the Bible tells us that he's threshing. Now, that was the practice where they would take the kernel from the harvest, and they would separate it from what the Bible calls the chaff. And that was always done in a plain or it was done on a hilltop where they could throw the harvest into the air in this process so the wind could carry the chaff away. But the Bible tells us that Gideon was doing this in the wine press, which was a low place where you would take the grapes and you would squeeze them and the, the juice from the grapes would be collected. That was a horrible place for, for Gideon to be threshing, but he's hiding from the Midianites. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. It's harvest time. It still would have been warm. Gideon, he's a bitter man. He's upset. Life's not going well. I, I want you to see him. He's hot. He's sweaty. He's in a low place, not a good place for threshing the, the harvest, and he's throwing it up, and, and his face, because it's sweaty, has dust and chaff that's sticking to it. He's aggravated. He's grumbling. It seems as though life for him could get no worse, and that is when it happened an angel comes to Gideon and in verse 12 of Judges 6 in the second part of that verse the the angel says to Gideon the Lord is with thee thou mighty man of valor can I say Gideon did not look like a mighty man of valor that's not at all who Gideon would have presented himself to be and yet it was through this conversation that Gideon was directed and called by God to lead an undersized, ill-prepared, outmatched group of would-be warriors into a battle that would win the people of God their independence from the Midianites. If what I read is correct, the odds in this battle would have been amazing. Approximately 400 Midianite trained soldiers to every one Israeli farmer who would have picked up whatever it was he had to enter into the fight. It was an amazing, amazing victory that demonstrated the power of God and the wisdom of God's strategy. 
Now, in fact, we find Gideon in the text that we read a moment ago. And at that time, when the Bible says he was faint yet pursuing, the battle had, had been won, and he's pursuing the Midianites that are now fleeing for their lives. He's, he's running after them. It was one of the most amazing victories in the Bible. It was one of those victories that inspires me to know that we have a good God who can use anybody in any situation, a God who's not concerned about the odds, a God who's not concerned about how well-trained the enemy may be. It's the kind of victory that reminds me of the veracity in the words of Jesus who said in Matthew 19, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Yet when it comes to Gideon's life and this persistence that we see, it had an unexpected beginning. Because where we meet Gideon, he appears to have quit in life. And I suppose were it not for the grace of God, his life would have been lived as a quitter. We would say he lived, in reality he would have existed, passing the time from that moment until the moment of his death, never really fulfilling what God had for him. But that was just a moment in his life. A change was coming, and as we begin to see the power of persistence and how it played out in Gideon's life, we have to understand some things. Three simple thoughts I'll share with you tonight. If you'd like to write things down, here's the first one I'll share with you. I want you to see tonight that without resistance, there can be no persistence. Without resistance, there can be no persistence. Now, one could wonder... Uh, Pastor Steve, tell me, how can a life that appears to have quit become a model of persistence? And I would say to you tonight that the answer to that question is found within the question itself. You see, the word persist is a great word. It's defined this way. It means to continue firmly or obstinately in an opinion or a course of action, listen, in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. In other words, you, you can't even get in a position in life where you can persist until you've been confronted with difficulty or opposition and sometimes even failure. How many of you here tonight would say, uh, Steve, there have been times in my life I've faced difficulty or opposition or maybe you've even had a failure in your life like I've had in my life. Are there any of you like that tonight? Good, a few of you. Good. The rest of you, I'd like to have you sign my Bible after the meeting tonight, all right? Let me tell you something. Those difficulties, that opposition, those failures, they are the canvases upon which God can do a great work in your life if you'll yield it to him and say, God, in spite of those things, help me to move forward for your glory. We so often think of failure as final, but I want you to know tonight that failure is not the opposite of success. It is part of the process that can lead us into success. Our failures need not be losses then in the truest sense. They're opportunities to learn and grow. It's been attributed that Thomas Edison was asked about all the failures he had in his experiments to build the light bulb. And it has been said that he said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. You see, that was a man that was persistent. When the occasion came that his factory burnt down and all the supplies inside, with all of the formulas he's made, it's been said that Thomas Edison said, look, the foundation didn't burn. That's great. It means we can build again. That's the heart of a persistent person. Someone that's been through a setback, adversity, difficulty, opposition, even failures, but said, I will keep moving forward. You see, that's the heart that King David had. In Psalm 119.71, David said this. He said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. 
David said, I've learned that even the hard times, the tough times, the trying times can serve a purpose when they lead me to the Lord. Now, I have no doubt that Gideon would not have signed up for the affliction he was enduring. But in the end, like David, he, he would see that resistance that, that he was facing was used for good because he learned from it. Now, listen, I want to share with you why I believe what I'm saying right now is of, of utmost importance. I speak to people nearly every day of my life who've been through difficult times, who know what opposition's all about, who know what failures in life is all about, and many people believe that failure is final, that that's who they are. That's a thought that plagues many, and many times we speak of unforgiveness from one person to another, and I believe there's an epidemic today of people who have an unforgiveness for things that they've encountered in their own life, and these are thoughts that, that even can plague my mind. But the Word of God always encourages me. God does not see my failure or my lack of perceptible progress as my final state. I'm not saying he overlooks those things, but he sees them as opportunities for us to learn so that we can grow forward. I love the way Jeremiah 8:4 says it. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not rise? Shall he turn away and not return? I just love the thought in that I can kind of hear the Lord saying, Really? You fell and you're just going to lay there? You're going to sit there? You're going to let life pass you by? You're going to let opportunities come on the right hand and the left hand and you're going to just let them keep moving by? You're not going to get up again? Because I'm glad to tell you tonight that we have a God that can use every circumstance in our lives. You might be like a Gideon who's sitting under a tree pouting at the way things are going, but there's no telling what God has in your future if you, like him, will learn the power of persistence, letting God live through you. You see, that verse in Jeremiah undergirds that old cliche that teaches that a success is not someone who's never fallen. A success is someone who just gets up one more time than they have fallen. Now, don't mistake me tonight. I am not advocating faltering, failing, or falling. But I am telling you that in order to persist, you must continue in spite of difficulty, in spite of opposition, in spite of failures along the way. And Gideon is a fantastic picture of persistence, not because he never failed. He's a great example because he was down and learned by God's help to get back up without Resistance, there can be no persistence. Secondly, tonight, I'd like for you to see this thought. Persistence can lead to progress when it's rooted in a position. Our persistence can lead to progress when it's rooted in a position. Now, I need to say before we develop this thought that persistence does not always lead to progress. I don't know if Einstein actually said it or not, but people have said, he said, there's a definition for people that are insane, it's people that do the same things over and over and expect a different result. You know, persistence, just in the same old bad routines, the bad cycles, the bad habits, that's, that's not what we're talking about at all. But, but when you grow through persistence, you can move forward for the Lord. It's interesting to me that our world will say things to us like, get a win, and then you'll be a winner. Get success, and then you'll be successful, and it's always performance-based. But I'm glad to tell you tonight, that's not at all how God works with us. God says, let me do a work in your life. Let me fill you with my spirit. Let me call you to a life of fulfillment and purpose and meaning, and may you find your identity not in what you do, but in who you belong to. 
Oh, listen, friends, I'm glad it doesn't work that way with God. God says this. It starts as we understand who he is, and then we understand who we are in him, and we move forward in our lives when our spiritual identity is rooted and anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, for Gideon, that was seen in the message that the angel of the Lord brought to him. Thou mighty man of valor. By all appearances, that's not who he was. But that is who God called him to be. God said, listen, I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you are. But I'm calling you to more. God says, when I see you, I'm, I'm not seeing the mess. I'm, I'm not seeing the hurts. I'm not seeing the habits. I'm not seeing the hang-ups. He wasn't overlooking where Gideon was. He said, I know where you are. I know who you are. But I know who you can become if you'll yield your life to me. God called him. When Gideon began to grow into seeing himself as God did, his actions became consistent with God's will and produced God's results. You see, that might and valor was in there by God's touch, but it wasn't utilized until Gideon came into agreement by faith with God's assessment of his life. You see, God knows we need to understand this. And God has filled his word with reminders from one end of the Bible to the other of what it means to truly have a relationship with God and to find our position in life in him. I want to read a passage of scripture to you tonight, and I just want you to listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 1. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Now, I'm going to read on, but I want you to pay attention in this passage to all the things that God has to say of those of us who know him as our Lord and Savior. There it says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It's in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And friends, what I'm telling you tonight is this. It's hard to remain inactive in our lives. It's hard to sit idly by in our lives. It's hard to not go for it with a heart of faith for the glory of God in our lives when we can read a passage like that and understand that God looks at his children. And just in that single passage consisting of a few verses, as I read to you, God says to his children, they're, they're blessed and they are chosen and they are adopted and they are accepted and they are redeemed and they are forgiven. Friends, I'm saying all the fuel you need in life to go where God would have you to go and to do what God has given you to do is found in that relationship with Jesus. And when we find our identity in Jesus, we don't have to succumb to that stinking thinking that sees the limits that our lives produce. We can just say, God, what would you have me to do? That's fine. I'll do what you would have if you'll enable me and empower me as I go. Friends, it seems ironic that to move forward, we have to drop an anchor. But this is where we have to drop an anchor in our spiritual lives. We go no further in our Christian lives until we drop an anchor at this position, this understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. We're not working off a debt. 
We're not trying to get God to love us. We're not trying to keep ourselves uh, saved. We're not trying to make God love us more. God could not love you more at this moment. It would be impossible. He loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you so much. If he has a refrigerator tonight, your picture's held on it with a magnet. I mean, God thinks the world of you. Someone asked Jesus how much he loves you. He said this much as he spread his arms and died on a cross. I, I just want you to get a hold of the fact that, that if you're a believer tonight, you've got a God who loves you. God the Son died for you. God the Spirit indwells you. You can do what God has called you to do. You can be who God has called you to be. And he will do that work in your life if you will say, God, help me to keep moving forward by your grace and for your glory. The final thought I want to share with you tonight is that to persist in persistence we need God's perspective. Now, you can say persist in persistence. That sounds a little redundant. Doing that for a reason. To persist in persistence, we need God's perspective. In the passage where we began, we read these words. The Bible said, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. At this point, Gideon had been through an ordeal. I mean, he and God had gone around and around, and Gideon had to come to the place where he said, you know, I'm going to stop playing faith. I'm going to stop pretending to be engaged in a real relationship with God. I'm, I'm going to stop trying to put God to the test, and I'm going to try and live a life that, that does what God would have me to do. I, I, I think Gideon was, was coming to a point where he just fully surrendered his life to God, and, and then he enters into this battle, and after the main battle, he's now pursuing the enemy. I've, I've read of the terrain through which they traversed. It was rugged terrain. There was no paved road. I mean, he was, he was breaking brush, pushing through, crossing streams and, and finally rivers. He had worked hard. He'd been in a fight. He's pursuing the enemy. The time for rest would come, but this was not that time. Now, I'm not advocating a life without rest, but if we don't learn that there are moments in time in life where we need to push through, we're going to miss some of the greatest blessings God has for us. Amen. Now, rest is appropriate. This was the wrong time for a rest. This was a time to, to capture the win. He, he was faint, yet pursuing and I just want us to wonder together tonight what compelled Gideon to press on he had a lot of good reasons to not he did more than a lot of people had done he already had a great victory the enemy was already on the run they were out of their territory I mean there were a lot of good reasons to stop right there but there was something on the inside of this man as he yielded his life to God that brought him to the place where he said you know I'm faint but I'm gonna keep pursuing I suppose I could ask this wonderful church family tonight you've just crossed the threshold of a wonderful anniversary a milestone moment in the life of a church you're growing, you're expanding, you're flourishing. I wonder why would you guys continue to keep going? I mean, you've got a pretty good thing going here. If you just kind of kept doing the same old with the same old people, it, it, it's really pretty good. I mean, why, why would you want to continue uh, going door knocking? Why would you want to continue to uh, tithe of your income and give offerings to missionaries and above that for building programs? Why would you want to continue serving in the nursery? Why would you want to keep teaching that class and helping with the children and working with teenagers and being involved in your small group and, and, and helping in all those ways? Listen, sometimes we might think this 
should be a good time for me to stop. And I would say, I believe that God, by His grace, He, he called this place into being, and your pastor responded and came, and God has done a great work, and God has done the glory, and I see might in this place, and I see valor in this place, and now is not the time for this church to put it in neutral. It's the time to say, let's pursue and get the full win for God. Now, why did Gideon keep going? Well, I've got to surmise a little bit, but I believe we're going to see that there's scripture to share with you what we'll find. I believe Gideon kept going, first of all, because of the past results. You see, looking back, Gideon could see that God had never failed him one time. By the way, if you believe God's faithful, say amen. Gideon had tried life in his own strength, his own power, his own wisdom, his own resourcefulness, and he found out that apart from God, he was a gigantic, enormous, colossal, epic failure. And he said, you know, when I finally yielded to God and his plan for my life, things changed. You see, his persistence produced a perspective that paved the way for more persistence. Hey, who we call it? You've learned something. You've learned that when your church passes out thousands of invitations, guests come. 40, 40 uh, visiting families on, on a Sunday. Not bad. That's pretty epic. I would say that's amazing. You, you've learned that if you get invitations out, people come. You've learned that when your pastor studies and prays and fasts and you bring your friends and he preaches a clear, unadulterated gospel message that people respond and get saved. And you've learned that when you are a witness and when you share the gospel on the job and with family and neighbors and friends that God can use you. You've seen what God can do as you faithfully give to expand the work here you know of missionaries that are being blessed because of your consistent faithfulness I'm saying tonight that like Gideon learned those past results should give us a perspective to say note to self we should probably keep doing those things I think what David in Psalm 27 said he said you know I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living you know, tonight I pulled in, I parked back here, and, and uh, I, I walked around. You, you know what I saw as, as I walked around and as I walked in and, and as I saw children in the front and then I saw the ladies gathering and sat in a men's meeting and saw you guys come and then, and then watched the greeting time. What I saw was the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, we wonder, what's God doing today? And I would say, church, you are blessed. Just look around. You're seeing what God is doing earlier in this story. We read in Judges 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And friends, when God is with you, persistence in his will makes great sense. When you say, you know, I've come this far by faith and God has blessed it and God has used it, I think I'll just keep on going. I like how Paul said it in Romans 8, 31. He said, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul said, man, I've been through some things, but I noticed that in the midst of all of that, God was with me and for me and in me and through me and by me, and he got me through it all, and I'm going to keep trusting God as I move forward in my life. You see, when you've lived a little bit of the Christian life and you've yielded your life to God, you learn there's just no good place to quit when you realize how good and faithful and loving and kind and merciful and gracious and benevolent our God really is. You just think, there is no better life than this. I'm going to keep going. Why? Because of the past results. But I think there was another compelling reason on the heart and mind of Gideon. 
I think he could see the present responsibilities. We don't often think of this, but we need to. Friends, I want to share something with you tonight. Let me see eyeballs. You matter more than you know. You matter. And if you quit, people will take note. And we think a testimony is a good thing, but we can have a discouraging testimony as well. And I think there are times where what we need to do is say, you know, there's some present responsibilities I have. I I need to make sure I'm living a life that would encourage others to want to follow the Lord as, as well. You see, in Romans 14 and verse 7, we read this, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Nobody's an island. Parents, let me encourage you tonight. You've got children that are watching you. They hear what you have to say about the sermon and about how things are going at church on the way home. They know how you behave uh, when you're there. Uh, They know those things and and group leaders and soul winners and ministry helpers and volunteers and and greeters and, and all of it. I want you to know your life matters. And you might think, little old me, who would ever miss me? I want you to know you would be missed. There are some present responsibilities we have in our lives. Before Gideon, we are told that he was faint yet pursuing. We read these words, he and the 300 that were with him. In other words, Gideon had influence, and he had to consider, how am I going to use the influence of my life? Surely, had he quit, others would have as well. Perhaps all of them. What's interesting is that when we meet Gideon, he was depressed and he was selfish. That's where we find him in Scripture. By the way, I have found that when I'm depressed, it's normally because I'm being selfish, thinking only about myself. And I have found that when I get selfish, I get depressed. Those two always go together. And that's where we met Gideon. He's thinking about himself, grumbling, down, discouraged. But, you know, when he got going for the Lord, his decisions had others in mind as he sought to please and honor God and, and help other people. Peter in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 said, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you've received God's grace in your life tonight, say amen. Great. God says, I've got a homework assignment for you. Why don't you go ahead and dish some of that grace out to those around you? You matter. You've got a present responsibility. God saved you so that through you, he can serve. He wants your life to be a vessel, and and God's not a discriminating user of vessels. He's really not interested tonight if if the vessel of your life likened unto a cup, if if it's earthen or if it's wood or if it's gold or if it's silver. He just wants a clean vessel. He wants a life that'll come to him and say, God, I don't know why it is you want to use me, but I take you at your word. I accept it by faith, and God, I just want to give you my life. God, would you allow whatever influence you'd give me to be used for your glory? God, would I have such a testimony on the job that people would see that in me? May my, may my family see there's something different going on in my life. May the way I interact with people on the job, let them know there's some joy in there that is, is absent in the lives of so many today. When we are others-minded, we tend to persist in a much deeper way a sense of personal responsibility to the roles in life that God gives will make us better married people, better parents, better friends, better co-workers. Somebody asked me tonight about my oldest daughter, Jessica. My oldest daughter, believe it or not, this year had a baby. And, uh, man, what a life change. It's been wonderful, you know. And uh, 
I was, I was goofing around with my wife the other day, and I said something to her. She said, Steve, if you ever did that, I'd never be able to explain it to Callie. That's our granddaughter. Well, she doesn't speak English yet, so it wouldn't be much of a conversation at this point, you know. She speaks several languages. None of them I can discern yet, okay? But, but you know, I thought, man, I've got a responsibility. All of us have people that look up to us, whether we know it or not, and and, and, and we need to understand that, that God's got a will for our lives. It's between us and Him, but it's always bigger than that. It's always larger than that. Our lives touch the lives of others. Gideon, why did you keep going? You have a good reason to stop. You've already done better than most. You've already gone further than others would have. Why are you going? And I believe we see the past results encouraged him to move forward. The present responsibilities considered him to press on. But I see also in this passage the potential reward. Now, I've never, never led a nation to a victory over an oppressive regime in a war before. But if I did, I'd imagine it'd come with a few perks, you know. They'd probably name a ship after me or a street or something. And back in this time, like, just imagine with me, if you would, that you were the guy to lead the fight, 401 odds, and, and uh, you were the point man in that. Uh, I mean, it'd probably come with some Good notoriety, good perks. Maybe they would ask you to be the king or something. I don't know. But that's exactly what they did to Gideon. They said, Gideon, man alive, look what you did. Look what you did. Gideon, we want you to be our king. And that's what happened to Gideon. And his response was different than what you might expect. His reply was so different than what would come from the typical person. I want you to listen to what happened in Judges 8, verses 22 and 23. The Bible says, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, this is their response now to Gideon, the victor. They said, Gideon, rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also. Now I'm going to read on, but let's not miss what they're saying. They're saying, hey, Gideon, we don't just want you to be a king. We want to start a dynasty here. We want it to be the Gideon dynasty. We want you to be the beginning of what we hope will be a long line of leaders. We want them to be from your family. Gideon, we're going to set you up. You'll have all the power you want, all the prestige you want, all the possessions you want. This is all about you. We want you to be our king. They said, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, yeah, I, I will not rule over you. What? What about the potential reward? This is your time. This is your moment. You've, you finally uh, deserve these, these kudos that are coming your way. I mean, you've been, you've been a greeter for eight weeks in a row. You deserve the pat on the back. You've been faithful for, for some time. Maybe you should get a plaque in your honor or maybe a laurel and a hearty greeting. You need something for what you've done. And they come to Gideon and said, would you rule, rule over us? He said, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. You see, in short, Gideon understood life was not about him to be in it for what he could get out of it. It was about him to be in it for what he could do for the glory of God and the good of others. He was content in his spirit not have to be the proverbial top dog but to be a part of a much greater work that God was doing to be a part 
Sometimes we say things like, I want to know God's will for my life, and I don't want to make anyone feel bad tonight, but I really don't believe God crafts a will for every single life. I believe God has one will today, and we can easily discern it by studying the Bible. One way to say it might be to say, God's not willing that any should perish. So our prayer shouldn't be, God, would you craft something just for me? No, our heart should be, God, may I condescend to your revealed will. And God's will is so big that there's a place in his will that's just shaped exactly like me and you. And Gideon was the kind of man that said, you know, I just want to plug into what God's doing. I don't need to usurp God. I don't need to act like uh, the, the boss in that sense. I'm content to let God be God. I just want to find my joy in being a part of the work that God is doing. And by the way, as Gideon made that statement, 40 years passed, and they were 40 peaceful years. Why? Because one man said, I'm down, but, you know, because of God, I'm not out. You asked me to say a little something about our church as we got started. And we talked today. I love your pastor. I love talking with him. He thinks Bible thoughts, you know. And um, I told your pastor today, I said, you know, we made it to 20 years, and someone asked me, how did you do that? And they wanted, like, some formula. And all I could say is, well, we just didn't stop. We didn't quit. Our family was living in Tennessee, serving at a great church there. and So we were moving from Tennessee to California. I want you to know we did not make it out of Tennessee before our rider rental truck blew an engine. On the bridge, actually, from Memphis into Arkansas. So I dropped my family off in first gear in Arkansas at a at a hotel named Hotel. <laughs> and I bought them some snacks from the gas station, which was named Gas. And in first gear, I went back into Memphis in a pouring down rainstorm, loaded our goods by myself with no help from one truck to the other. I couldn't do as good a job by myself as my friends had done helping me load it. My kids are still looking for some of their toys to this day. <laughs> we got back on the road, and we made it into Oklahoma and pressed into Colorado and that's when the trailer towing our car behind our new rental truck had a blowout and it damaged our car we got into northern San Diego County and at that time the real estate market was such we couldn't find a place to live our printing got in it, it, it was all wrong first day of door knocking a man cussed me out there's always reasons to quit but none of them, none of them are good Say, wait a minute, Pastor, are you saying you, you agreed with God? You said, God, I'll do your will, and things went wrong? Yeah, that happens sometimes. Are you saying someone hurt your feelings? Yeah, that happens. It's a poor reason to quit. Poor reason to quit. I remember going before the city as the representative of our church before our city fathers to get permits for a building program, and I remember the city voted us down. On local cable, none, no less. I felt like the biggest fool in the world. And honestly, I was. I'd, I'd never even bought a house before when we were buying a church property. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, sometimes simple things are not easy things. Living a life of persistence for the Lord, it's, it's not easy. 
but it's a pretty simple decision we all could make that'll take us from where we are to wherever it is God would have us to go next in our lives for him. When you discern God's perspective in life, you will never lack for that inner motivation from his spirit to move in. To each of us, the Lord says in Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And friends, I'm just doing my best tonight to tell you, you can trust God. He'll never one time let you down. Uh, we, we might become physically weary. We, we all understand that, but we never need to faint in terms of living for God. We can learn the value of persistence. And when Gideon came to understand that God had a purpose, even though he wasn't understanding it completely at the moment, he just got a hold of the fact, wait, God's doing something here. I don't get it completely, but God's come to me. He's called me to himself. He's leading me to serve in one way. He said God's got a purpose and God's got a plan and God gave Gideon a plan by the way the plan didn't make much more sense to him than, than the than the purpose as he was trying to understand it and then and then he learned God has a position for me in all of this and God has power for me in the midst of this and he developed a heart that said how can I quit now after all God has done for me Amen. friends I want you to know you live in the middle of a city that desperately needs each of you to be in your place here. I'm just naive enough to believe that in this day in which we're living, God has made the decision to work through local New Testament churches. And we as members make up the body. And you are needed, you are wanted, and you are appreciated. I think tonight it would be wonderful if we just had a heart that said, Lord, I'll keep going. I've been here a while, the shine is gone, the novelty is gone, the initial excitement is gone. It was fun when I came, and then we got a new building, that was fun, and we had an anniversary, that was fun, but, but God, now it's just kind of like living life, and wouldn't it be great if some people said tonight, God, would you help me by your power to persist? Wouldn't it be great if some said, you know, Lord, I've, I've tried to be a witness, help me to keep doing that. Maybe some of you tonight, what you need to say is, God, I've been hurt. I've been hurt. Help that not to derail me. Help me to be faithful and consistent to your plan for my life. God, I've been through some things, but God, help me never to forget how good you've been to me and what you've done in my life. And God, help me to pay it forward. Help me, help me not just to be a, a dead-end reservoir where your blessings come, never to be seen again, but may I be more like a channel when your blessings come into my life. I receive them, and I'm nourished, and I'm blessed, and I'm helped, and I'm encouraged, and then I pass them on to the next person so they can receive them as well. I believe tonight if we would just have a heart that would say, God, help me to live for your glory and the good of others, and if we persist in so doing, I believe that five years, you'll look back on five years of this church family, and I'll say, you'll say this, five years, that was just a good start. Amen. Today, we call it a great milestone victory, and it is, but I believe by God's grace, you can look back on a time like this as the good old days. Man, that's just when we were getting going for God. But at the end of the day, the Christian life, it's, a, it's, it's of the Lord. It's, it's not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible to live the Christian life. That's why we got to die to self and say, God, do it in me and through me. But friends, as we just make that decision, God, I want to persist. You'll be shocked. God could take anybody.
that we would say they'll never go anywhere and God can take them wherever it is he needs for them to go.